Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. Uh, it has be- finally begun to cool off a little bit. We have a beautiful fall uh, uh, morning out there, and it's uh, great to uh, to have that, and to uh, it's great to be here as well to uh, worship God together and to uh, be together in God's house. Uh, we welcome our guests, especially today. You are very special to us, and we're glad that you're here and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together this morning. Just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. Uh, first of all, uh, let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets. Uh, that Those are on the clipboards on each row there. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out and give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. Uh, check the appropriate box on there, whether you're a visitor or a member, and uh, give us your name and address and email and things like that uh, so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Uh, especially if you would like to uh, receive our email newsletter we send out every Thursday, please be sure to give us your email address and we'll get you on the list uh, uh, for our email newsletter. Keeps you up on all the activities and worship uh, opportunities and service opportunities here at Community Baptist Church. Uh, a few things that are coming up, let me remind you uh, of some things that are happening this week. Um, our youth will be going to the mall immediately after the worship service today. So if you are a youth, then you can hang around and uh, you're going to the uh, to the mall in Evansville and eating dinner, eating lunch, I think, at uh, TGIF and uh, just having a time of shopping and having fun together. So uh, hang around after worships today. And our women's mission group will be meeting tomorrow. It's tomorrow, right? Is it tomorrow? Tomorrow, yes. We'll be meeting tomorrow. Um, it was originally planned to, uh, they were originally planned to meet at Nora's house, but uh, that will not be the case. They're going to be meeting at Lana Hopgood's house uh, on Rudy Street. And um, so that, that's going to be at Lana's house. Many of you know that um, that uh, Mark and Nora's daughter-in-law uh, came down with encephalitis this weekend, uh, which was a terrible surprise. And in light of what uh, happened to, to Rachel many, uh, several years ago, this was, this was quite a, a troubling event. Uh, I do have good news, though, and that is that uh, Sarah woke up this morning, and she's a little confused. She doesn't know how she got there. But she is here. She is awake and doing much better. So we can we can praise God for that. It looks like things are are, are going to be okay there. So we're but we need to continue to keep them in our prayers. Uh, we're glad that you're here today, and it's great to be in God's house. It's great to share this time together. It's great to share the love of God with one another. So let me invite you to do just that: to stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord and share the love of God together.
I get a talk for a change. <laughs> now I want to tell you, my dear wife is uh, one of these people that she grabs a hold of something and goes with it. And uh, we've taken over this Sunday school thing, and I'd like to make a, this a short talk to you. It's uh, for longer the time that I came to church, I did not always attend Sunday school. Like many uh, Christians, I have read the Bible all my life. However, in the Bible study, there's a great deal of the Bible I did not truly understand. And I've had a lot of that shown to me in going to Sunday school. I went several years to church. A different ones than our, this one, of course, but uh, did not attend Sunday school and for a number of years. I attend now. Uh, one of the things that Sunday school has done for me is give me the true meaning of those words. The discussion of Jesus' teaching, especially through his parables to our daily uh, lives today, Bible study brings the Word of God to life and has helped me to grow as a Christian. Many of you attend this church, do not attend Sunday school, and you're like me. You do not have an opportunity to understand all of the things that I've learned because it's a difficult book to understand and and uh, God talked in, or Jesus talked in parables to us. I didn't understand the parables. So I'm inviting you to come and join us. I might add one other thing. Wednesday night is an excellent night to be here to hear about the Bible. We had a study in Revelations, never touched that book. Because I was always thought that was the downturn of all mankind. It's not. And one of the things that our minister did teach us was what revelations really was. And those, uh, he's in other books now, Corinthians, and 
all the different ones that we're studying, and I would invite you all to come Wednesday night. You know, I think you'll enjoy it, and uh, you will find it uh, Wednesday night. It's a great time to come and eat, too. So come and join us, both for Sunday school and Wednesday night. I, I will guarantee you that you'll enjoy it. Thank you.
blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. come to a part of the service that's one of my favorite things to do, and that is to dedicate these beautiful children to the Lord. And so I'm going to ask if uh, Marley Staten and Zoe Hall and Gray Hopgood would come up here to the front and stand. And if you'd like, you can bring your parents along as well. Right here. Good. The, the dedication of a child to God is a, a very important and sacred and, and holy event. Uh, dedication involves not only a child, but also the parents, and the extended family, and the church. Uh, parents, we rejoice with you because these dear children have come into your hearts and into your home. And, and there is no gift of God that's more precious and more filled with promise and blessing than the coming of children into your home. And yet with these blessings also come great responsibilities for you, uh, the parents, into your care. God has entrusted this soul whose destiny will be determined to a large extent by your character and the influence that you have in your home on your child. So guard your home well in Christ. Uh, you will remember that the Bible has a lot to say about children and the responsibilities of parenthood. Uh, I'm reminded of what Moses said, challenging parents to store up in their own hearts the words of wise counsel so that they can teach them to their children. I'm reminded that Hannah brought her son Samuel, um, who became God's prophet, to the temple. And Joseph and Mary also brought Jesus to the temple where Simeon blessed him. And what an event to be the earthly parent of the Son of God. But you know what? Their responsibilities were no different from your responsibilities. And as they did with Jesus, I want to admonish you parents to surround your children with love and with care. Bring them up in such a way that they will begin to, to understand, that they will come to love and to follow your example of following Jesus. But in this service of dedication, we, your church also are making a commitment to you. 
Because we know that it's not easy being a parent. And you should not feel that you're alone in your endeavor. Uh, and so the affirmation and the support of your church family can be a great help and an, an encouragement to you. For this reason, our church places a great importance on a dedication service for, for parents and for children. In a service of dedication, the, the church recognizes and acknowledges the dual responsibilities that, that we share along with you, the parents, in shaping your child's character. And this commitment service should also reflect the church's attitude towards families and communicate its intention and its desire to support and to encourage and to love and to nurture you as parents as well as your children. Now, now, good, here we go. Now is the fun part that I get to do. If you don't mind, can I take Marley? <laughs> I want to take this child out here and introduce her to you. This is Marley Staten. And she was born when? July 15th. July the 15th. And isn't she beautiful? Brad and Christy are her parents, and she's not even screaming at me. See, she's used to this. I held this baby when she was a, a day old, I think. Look at you. Aren't you pretty? Can I take Zoe? This is Zoe. Lauren and Barry are her parents, and Zoe was born April the 4th. Look at her. Ooh, look at you. Oh. Yeah, she likes my beard. Ain't <laughs> she cute? Oh, she doesn't want to go to you. She wants to go. Yeah, there's Mama. Here, here we go. And this is Gray. Oh, can I take you, Gray? Oh, can I take you? Oh, I'm not sure about this. I'm not taking you away. I'm not taking you away. I'm really not. This is Gray. Evan and Gabby are her parents. And she was born... February 12th, February 12th, almost Valentine's Day. What a great day that is. So I want you, church, to know these children because these may not be biologically our children, but they're our children, aren't they? Because we have some responsibility for these children. Let me reach back here just a second. We want to dedicate these children to the Lord. And that's why these parents are here today. And so we want to have this service of dedication, a little litany, um, dedicating these children to the Lord, dedicating these parents to the responsibility of being good parents and bringing them up in the spirit of the Lord and dedicating our church 
to help them do that. So let's read together the responsive reading. Parents, do you desire earnestly that your child grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? As parents, do you covenant together with God to bring up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to assist your child in growing as did Jesus in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with humanity? Because you desire for your child to a knowledge of the scriptures and a loving, obedient attitude toward God and God's Son, Jesus Christ, do you promise to use your home and the organization of the church to accomplish this task? Recognizing the responsibility that you have as a congregation towards each child, do you agree to love and to protect them? seeking always to manifest toward them a Christ-like spirit? Do you promise that by giving your time, talents, and money, you will do your part and help provide spiritual instruction and Christian training? If you accept this responsibility, will you indicate by standing if you are able? We, the church pledge to commit ourselves to nurture these parents and their children to provide opportunities for training and growth in parenting and family enrichment and to offer them our support and our loving concern. Let us pray. O God, our divine parent, we thank you for these children. They are signs of the kingdom growing by leaps and bounds among us. With unconditional love, we bring them into our circle, into our family. Let us tell them your story again and again and again until they imagine it, paint it, sing it, act it, dance it, write it, until it sinks deep within their bodies and souls and voices. Remind us that children come trailing clouds of glory, not so far from the wonder of your face. Help us to teach them the faith and the hope that they need to live authentically in this world. And even as we try to shelter them from storms, help us to model compassion that enters the pains of others. And let let us nurture all that makes them precious gifts, daughters and sons made in the image of God. And above all, as we grow alongside these children... May our dependability and faithfulness show them that they can trust your tender love now and forever. Amen. Blessings on all of you wonderful children and all of you wonderful parents.
Please be seated. Matthew 5, 5 is, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Join me in prayer, please. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come, we are humbled this morning, and at the same time in awe of all the blessings and wonderful things you've done for us, not only as a congregation in the church, but also as families and friends and members that we need to be grateful this morning. And as we dedicate the future of our church with these babies this morning, we realize that the longevity here of some of these families are looking at four generations. And that says a lot about what we're about. So we ask that you continue to bless us, to, to be with our every endeavor. And this morning, as we remember those who are not here, some are grieving, some have serious illness, and whatever the need, that you be with them, bring them back to us, and know, let them know we love them and care for them. Thank you again for our many, many blessings. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you give us, especially your unconditional love. Give us the courage to trust you will provide us our needs. And let us give of our tithes and offerings from our hearts. Also give us the wisdom to use these offerings to best fit your needs. In Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.
Don't you love that song? Oh, isn't that great? I love that song. I always think about, oh, brother, where are they, although, when I hear it, but it's a great, great song. Today we're going to talk about success, and um, I would say that success is something that everyone wants. However, it's also something that's very hard to define. Uh, an informal survey was taken of a variety of people in which they were asked what their definition of success was, <clears throat> and here are some of the results. One businessman in his 30s said that to be successful, he thought he had to continue to, get, to gain promotions on a regular basis, and so climbing the corporate ladder was his definition of success. A 19-year-old college student said, when I graduate and make enough money to pay off my student loans before I retire at the age of 65, he thought that that was success. And an actress in her mid-20s said success would be to become known and respected by her peers and being able to get roles that other people coveted. Those are just a few of the answers, and according to the world's definition of success, they were right. Webster's definition of success is the attain, attainment of wealth, fame, and power. 
And if you think about it, those are the three, three of the most important com- components of success in this world. But this morning, I want us to put aside the world's definition of success and look at what Jesus says a person needs to do in order to be successful. And I'll give you a hint. It's not what most people think. Here's what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty successful to own the whole world, the entire earth. I mean, not even Donald Trump and Bill Gates can claim that, at least not yet. But let me ask you something. Does the the insignificant and the powerless usually end up running the world? No. It's usually the wealthy and the famous and the powerful who control things. But notice that Jesus doesn't say that the meek will take the earth. Instead, it says that they will inherit the earth. In other words, it will be given to them. So you see, in in God's economy, true success is not something that can be attained. It is something that is given to us as we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that success will go to the gentle, to the lowly, and not to the arrogant or the power monger. I don't know about you, but, but to me, that's a pretty radical idea. And here in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about for the past couple of, couple of weeks, Jesus gives us three rules to follow if we want to know what a successful life is really all about. So let's take a look at these three rules for a little bit this morning. First of all, pursue humility. That's the first thing that we need to do to have this blessed life. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Pursue humility. Now, most people have the wrong impression of humility. Many people think that if you're humble, then you must be just a little bit wimpy, okay? Maybe you have a low self-esteem and you're you're always uh, telling people how bad you are or how much better they are than you. But, But folks, being humble has nothing to do with being a doormat, nothing at all. Here's a great definition of humility. I ran across this just this past week. And I think it's probably the best definition of humility that I've ever heard. Being humble means simply being comfortable with the person that God has created you to be. Being humble means being comfortable with the person that God has created you to be. A friend of mine told me recently that a key to being humble is realizing that there is a God and and, and you're not him. (laughs) And that's true, isn't it? Humility has to do with the way you view yourself. and, And the way you view yourself has a lot to do with whether or not you are happy in your life. Now, the number one enemy to humility is envy and jealousy and comparing yourself to others. And that's true. That's true whether we're in the business world or if we're a student or or even in churches. We look at our peers and and we envy them. And and because of that, we begin to dislike them. and, And then we work even harder to be better than they are. But ultimately, living like this just makes us miserable because it's meaningless. 
As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes says it's like chasing the wind. It's fruitless. But humility is being happy with the person that God made you to be. Because you see, you can't measure your success by comparing yourself to others. And I am so thankful that God doesn't do that with me. I'm so thankful that God doesn't rank me in comparison to other people on the basis of what I can or cannot do. Look at James 4, verse 10. It says, when you humble yourself before God, God will lift you up and give you honor. So you see, it does no good to to compare ourselves with others. Jesus tells a story in Matthew of a devout religious leader and a tax collector praying in the temple. And this religious leader is someone who is very successful at being religious. This is someone who keeps hundreds of commandments every single day. But when he goes into the temple to pray, he said, God, I thank you that I'm such a good person. And I thank you especially that I'm not like that tax collector over there, that I'm better than him. That's how he prayed. But the tax collector comes into the temple and and he gets down on his knees and he is so ashamed of himself that he won't even lift his eyes upward. He beats his chest and he cries, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And Jesus asks, which one do you think God honors most? Well, the answer was the sinful tax collector. Because, folks, God is not interested in how you compare yourself to others. And God is not interested in how well you have been able to impress other people. So if that's been your main goal in life, then I'm sorry, but it does not impress God. God is more interested in someone who is humble. God is interested in someone who admits that they are not perfect and acknowledges their need for God first in their life. That's the person that God wants to honor. That's the person that God wants to give the entire earth to. These are the people that God wants to give real success to. But if you measure your success by trying to be the greatest in the eyes of others, then that's your only reward. That and all of the stress and the anxiety and the worries that go along with it. So humble yourself before God. And let God lift you up. Then Jesus' second rule of success is to practice selfless living. If you want to be successful according to Jesus's definition of success, then you need to practice selfless living. And here's a question that you and I need to ask if we are to practice selfless living. Do I assume the best about other people or do I assume the worst? When I look at other people, do I first recognize their strengths and their gifts and their, the good things about their lives? Or am I judging them and looking for their faults and, their, and comparing myself to them? Well, Jesus says that we need to look for the good in others first. Look at this passage. In Matthew 7, again in the Sermon on the Mount, it's pretty blunt. 
He says, stop judging others and you will not be judged. He said, you hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye, and then perhaps you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You see, Jesus lays out an important truth in this passage, and here it is. Look in the mirror before you even think about finding fault with the other person. Jesus said there's some folks who spend their time criticizing others for the little tiny speck in their eye while they have a huge log coming out of their own eye. In other words, we're quick to see the deficiencies of others while we ignore our own faults and deficiencies. And by finding faults in other people, it keeps us from having to look at ourselves. So always look in the mirror before you even think about finding fault with another person. Because if we do that, it will make us a better person. And we will begin to see the best in others. And guess what? They will also begin to see the best in us. It's true. Others will see the best in us when we see the best in them. Because you see, the Bible tells us that the way we judge other people is the same way that we will be judged. And so if we are critical of other people, and if you're always seeing the worst in other people, and if you're always pointing out their faults and their deficiencies, then guess what? The first thing that they're going to notice about you are your faults and your deficiencies, the things that you aren't doing so well. So if you're always seeing the the best in other people, they're always going to notice the best in you. So do you see the best in others or do you see the worst in them? Another question to ask for selfless living is this. Do I look at other people and ask, how can I help them? Or do I ask, how can they help me? You know, many times we approach our relationships thinking, what can I get out of this? Or how can I make a good impression so that everyone will think highly of me? But Jesus says that's the wrong motivation. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only of your own affairs, but the interests of others. And what Paul is saying here is put aside your your own personal agenda. Focus on the other person. What are their needs? What are they going through? How can you help that other person? And I know that some of you probably are thinking to yourself, Tim, you really are naive, you know, because the world just doesn't work that way. We live in a dog-eat-dog world, and assuming the best about another person will just get you eaten alive. And I know, I'm not naive. I know that. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus' teachings go against the grain of conventional wisdom. But folks, let me tell you something. Jesus said, point blank, And I want you to get this. If you want to be successful in life, according to God's definition of success, if you want to be successful in life, and I mean really and truly happy and blessed, then you must, it is not an option, you must practice selfless living. You must see the best in other people. 
You must not constantly point out their faults. You must think about their needs and their desires as much as you do your own. Think about marriages. If husbands and wives were always noticing and nurturing the best in their partners instead of pointing out their negatives, wouldn't our marriages be a little more successful? Think about your friendships. If if you're constantly thinking about what you could do for your friends instead of what they can do for you, don't you think your friendships would be just a little more successful? Think about your relationships with your peers at work or at school or, or at church. Instead of competing with them and comparing yourselves to them and jockeying for position, if you begin to love them and, and root for them, wouldn't that make them feel better and wouldn't it also make you feel better? And wouldn't that relationship be just a little more successful? That, my friends, is a real definition of success. But taking that step towards selfless living is radical. Because, folks, nobody else in the world is doing that. But it will make a radical change in your life and in the lives of those around you. So try it. Pursue humility. Live a selfless life. And then finally, Jesus' third rule of success is to invest for eternity. Jesus says, if you want to be successful, be humble. Be selfless. Give God control. And, but above all else, be sure to invest your life in something that is going to last forever. This next passage, also in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty, where they will be safe from thieves, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Folks, don't make the most important thing in your life something that's temporary. Don't look for happiness and meaning and fulfillment and success and things that can be easily taken away from you. The ultimate and final measure of success in your life cannot be measured by how famous you are or how much power you have or by how rich you are. I mean, look at Solomon. Solomon was the most famous, the richest, and the most powerful king of his time. But listen to what he says. He says, anything I wanted, I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy. But as I looked at everything, my wealth, my fame, my power... It was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. And there was nothing worthwhile anywhere. Wow. Well, that's the question, isn't it? What's worthwhile? What's worth investing your life in? You see, when we see God after we die, guess what? God's not going to ask you how much money you made. God's not going to ask you how many people knew your name or or how far you advanced in your career. God's not going to ask you for the statistics to point the success from a worldly point of view, the the money, the numbers, the uh, bottom line. Instead, God's going to ask you, what did you do with Jesus? Did you accept his kingdom? Did you accept the fact that he died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven? Did you tell others about him? And then he's going to ask you something else. He's going to ask, what did you do with your life? Did you follow the teachings of Jesus or did you just get your 
ticket punch for heaven and keep on living the self-centered life that you always lived. In other words, how did you invest your life? Did you invest it in other people? Did you give God control of your life and live for God? Or did you just live for yourself, seeking fame and fortune and power? Jim Elliott was a missionary to South America. When he was in his 20s, God laid on his heart to share the gospel with a cannibalistic tribe in Ecuador. The tribe had never heard the gospel of Christ before, but God laid on his heart that this was something that he needed to do, so he did it. He went to this tribe, he flew his plane in and landed on a river nearby, and this tribe was known for killing people, especially Westerners. They were encroaching into their territory, and, and so they were retaliating. And, but things went badly. He began sharing the gospel with them. He made contact, but things turned badly, and they turned on him and his partner and killed them both. Jim Elliott was only 28 years old when he died trying to share the gospel as a missionary in South America. Now, that seems like a very tragic thing, and, it, and it's a sad thing that someone so talented would lose their life at such a young age. But what happened was this. He opened the door. By what he did, he opened the door. And later on, his wife, Elizabeth, went back and shared the gospel with this same tribe. And a tremendous transformation took place all throughout this tribe in South America. Before he died, Jim Jim Elliot wrote these words. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. You know, so many of us live our lives doing exactly the opposite. We trade things that will last forever to gain temporary happiness or success. We'll tell a lie in order to get a promotion. We betray a friend in order to get ahead. We compromise our our principles to be accepted. And we sell our souls to be successful by the world's standards. And we trade things of immense value for something that's so worthless in comparison. But Jesus says you don't have to do that. In the end, Jesus said that there are two paths that you can walk down as you seek success in your life. One's a very popular way, and it's crowded. It's seeking success according to the world's definition, but the Bible tells us it leads to destruction. The other way is God's way, and it's a radical way. But the Bible tells us that it is the way that leads to a blessed and happy life. So today you have a choice and you can keep trying to fill that emptiness in your life with temporary solutions or you can you can look to see that Jesus offers a different way. And only you can decide which road you want to, to take. But today I want to invite you to take God's way. God's way. Because, folks, we can't figure it all out. We can't. But God's way is the way that leads to a blessed and happy life. Let's bow our heads. Oh God, your ways are mysterious to us. 
You bless those who are gentle and lowly and meek, and you make the ones that finish last to be first. And you say that in order to be successful, I have to be humble. I have to think of others first and I have to give you control and invest my life in something that lasts forever. That's the opposite of what everyone else says and does. But today, oh God, we want to try it your way. We want to walk your path because we've tried the other way and it's just left us feeling empty and dissatisfied. And so today we want to commit our life to your way. Commit, commit our life to your plan for us as we give it all to you. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to God's calling in your life, whatever that may be. We're going to sing together, Lord, I want to be a Christian, number 489. There may be someone here today who's never made a commitment to Christ before. Maybe you've been going that way that leads to success by earthly standards, but you've been ignoring the way that leads to success by spiritual standards. And it may be time for you to kind of get your life straight so that your life will be happy and blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, we invite you to do that today. To set things straight and get your priorities in order. Perhaps you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We, come, we invite you to come and unite with our church today. We are a church who loves the Lord, who loves each other, who loves this community and loves being the presence of Christ to others. We invite you to be a part of that. Or maybe you just need a time of prayer. We invite you to come and pray. Would you come as we sing together, Lord, I want to be a Christian. Loving God, do we make your message too hard? 
We worry that if we don't study enough or struggle enough or wrestle enough with the words, we won't understand what you really want us to hear. But when we are resting in your presence, we realize that your purpose is not to make life more confusing or difficult. You know that we need plain and simple messages. Love God with all your heart. Love one another. You give us simple gifts like Sabbath rests, hold, hands to hold, and, and comforting words. So God, may your simple words be the most profound words that we ever hear. God is love. God is love. God is love. Amen.